I know y'all came to see Lecrae, that's okay. I came to see Lecrae too, so that's all right. I love y'all, but I want to hang out with Lecrae later. It's um, no small thing to ask two black men to stand before you and answer the question of whether or not Christianity is a boon or bane in the search for justice in North Carolina. We are one hour east of the origin of the sit-in movement in Greensboro, North Carolina, and some nine hours northeast of the birth of the bus boycott in Birmingham, Alabama. Both events were part of a larger movement for societal transformation led largely by Christians. The history of Christianity, of black Christianity, is the history of black Christians struggling against racism. Black Christianity has always been inescapably political because it began by protesting an established law, slavery, through the use of biblical text and theological reasoning. Too often, this question of Christianity, racism, and justice centers white Western voices. It would be a strange thing indeed to ask the Ethiopian church, founded in AD 330, when the British were still worshiping rocks and stones, what, it's true, whether the church was good or bad for racism. It would be stranger still to ask the Syrian Christians, also founded in the fourth century, whether or not Christianity was good or bad in the fight against racism. It would be perplexing to ask the apostle Paul, who called himself an apostle to the Gentiles and who claimed that Jesus Christ has torn down the dividing walls between Jews and Greeks, making the two one by his blood, to ask him whether or not Christianity was good or bad in the, in, as it relates to racism and justice. It would be awkward to ask the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, a black man, at the foundation of early Christianity, whether or not Christianity had a relevant word to speak to the black and brown bodies that fill this land. Can I do one more? Okay. If we look deep into the roots of our story and we open up the Old Testament, or we dug up old Jacob, and we said, Jacob, what does the Bible have to say about racial justice? Jacob might say, hold on for a minute, hold on for a minute, and let me go and grab my two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. You guys know about them? There we go, that's my son. <laughs> Why these two sons? Because Ephraim and Manasseh were not actually Jacob's sons. They were Joseph's sons, the, the, the children of Joseph and Aseneth, an African woman. And so when these two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh are brought before Jacob. Jacob sees in their brown bodies the fulfillment of God's promise that he will bless all nations. And he said, I want these two half African boys brought into the 12 tribes of Israel. We don't need to go and look for the lost 12 tribes to find black people in the Bible. It's literally in Genesis. African blood flowed into Israel from the beginning. It's right there in the text. 
But I take your point. There's a complex history of Christianity in this country. But we cannot pursue the question of race and justice as if the entirety of the story was focused on America. But I get the question. I get the question. Like Lecrae, I grew up in the aftermath of the upheavals of the Civil Rights Movement in Alabama, with my mom and my aunts being the first to attend integrated schools in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama. I also know what it means to grow up surrounded by the ever-present threat of white supremacy and the resulting black poverty that engenders a dangerous form of black nihilism. I grew up around people who have forgotten how to hope and inflicted the pain of their hopelessness on their black brothers and sisters. So in the words of Faulkner, the past is never dead. It's not even past. The legacy of Jim Crow is still with us. We're still trying to take down the monuments to it, but I'll leave that alone. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to speak about it. <laughs> but I grew up in a Christian home, and to us, the link between Christian faith and justice was plain. God stood on the side of the oppressed and against the oppressor. James Cohen, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, him here, he said, if Yahweh had been revealed as the God of the Egyptian slave masters, a very different God would have been revealed. We, yeah, let it sink, sink in, there we go. We knew that God fought for us and we needed him because who else could help? But I also remember wondering whether or not Christianity really was for us. In middle school, I almost joined the Nation of Islam. It was right around the time when Malcolm X came out, the movie, and, and they, they killed Denzel in the movie. <laughs> and I remember after they killed Denzel, I went out and I, and I, and I bought Alex Haley's biography on Malcolm X. And then I remember reading everything I could get my hands on about black history. I read Baldwin and Cleaver and King and Ellison and, and my God, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We wear the mask that grins and lies, that hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. And I recall getting angrier and angrier. What does Baldwin say? To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious of being in a rage almost all of the time. And I was mad. But in the end, I decided not to leave the Christian faith. So you see, the question that sits at the center of our, of our discussion is no passing fancy, but it's occupied most of my adult life. But you didn't ask 15 or 16-year-old Esau to speak to you and answer these questions. You asked the grown man who stands before you today. And I only have a few minutes left, so I'm going to give you three reasons why adult Esau believes that Christianity is a friend in the fight for racial justice. Young Esau might show up at the end if you're nice. But three, three reasons. The first reason, Christian anthropology, what it means to be human. The second reason, Christian sociology, what it means to be saved or the cross. And three, Christian eschatology, what Christianity teaches about human destiny. So I'm gonna start with the first one, Christian anthropology. Here, I'm simply gonna quote a story told about Howard Thurman, the great African-American theologian whose writings inspired the Civil Rights Movement. And he recounts the story of his grandmother's memory of early slave preaching. The, 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 the sermons that the slaves would give to other slaves as they longed for the day of God's liberation. And this is what she says, it's a quote. The idea was given to her by a certain slave master who on occasion held secret meetings with his fellow slaves. How everything in me quivered 
with the pulsing tremor of raw energy when, in her recital, she would come to the triumphant climax of the, of the minister. And he would say, you, you, you are not niggers. You are not slaves. You are God's children. Do you see it? In the face of slavery, black Christian slaves resisted the slave master's anthropology. The slave master said that black people were inferior. They claimed they were lesser beings fit only to serve. And the early black preachers read the Bible differently. They saw that the Bible taught that all people were made in God's image and therefore deserving of respect. That the Bible speaks clearly against any form of racial hierarchy. And it gave the slaves a sense of what Dr. King calls a sense of somebodiness. Christianity teaches us that we're all somebody to God. The Apostle Paul actually says that God specializes in lifting up those people seen as nobodies because he reveals the foolishness of the world. This idea that every person is of equal value is not something that's just clear to everyone. Because in the first century, there was a hierarchy with the Roman Empire on top as the pot of familias and on the bottom the slaves. But it's Christianity that upset that apple cart. I need to press on because I only got a few more minutes. I'm past my time already. I'm going to go. <laughs> Christianity is the friend of racial justice because of its soteriology. This is the fancy word for salvation. Put simply, Christianity claims that the world is full of injustice and sin. And although Christianity is criticized for speaking about sin, a critique of society stands that all calls for justice. You can't call for justice unless you say something is broken. Once you say something is broken, you're talking about sin. Furthermore, furthermore, in the gospel narratives, Jesus doesn't simply critique Rome's for oppression of Israel. He doesn't just do that. He speaks to the myriad ways in which we harm ourselves and others. Too often the search for justice only includes other people. We want to talk about white supremacy, which is great. We fail to consider about how our actions, large and small, do damage to those around us. So we are all complicit. We're all complicit. Christianity claims that God looks at all of this and chooses to love us anyway. So the cross of Christ is both the ultimate critique of the brokenness of society and a profound display of love. But there's more. There has to be a way to speak plainly to one another about the wrongs that we have done without getting caught up in a cycle of revenge that traps every generation. And I don't know about you, but it is only the grace that God showed me that allows me to love people in the face of hatred, I mean, in the face of oppression. Otherwise, without the cross, I truly believe, I truly believe we're going to burn this thing down. One of my favorite movies growing up uh, was Tombstone. And it's a story in which Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday fought a band of outlaws who were trying to take over this town. In one of my favorite scenes, the current leader of the band, the, band, the band of outlaws says to Wyatt, if you think that I'm bad, just wait until he's in charge. Things are going to get worse. People criticize Christianity, but let me make this clear. You better hope that forgiveness, grace, and transformation is the road forward because black people got beef. All right, let the, let the black nationalists win and see if you like it. Okay. <laughs> lastly, lastly, 
Christian eschatology. Christian eschatology. Our Bible does not end with a race war or the victory of one ethnicity over the other. It ends with a picture of every ethnicity and language, and language encodes culture, all right? Worshiping Jesus. Christianity then envisions a multi-ethnic community where difference is not wiped away. We speak our languages, we bring our culture, but each culture brings its unique gift to God. Consider the difference when we say you have to learn English to live here and adopt American culture and sensibilities and dress like American and talk like an American and think like an American. Interesting that our kingdom comes at the, at the cost of uniformity where God says, bring me your gifts. But Christianity works like this. We try to live now in light of what will be later. So if the future of Christian eschatology is, is multi-ethnic, then our job as Christians is to bring that into the present and create those communities now. So I think that Christianity is a friend of justice because of what it says about what people are. We are all made in God's image and therefore deserve the respect. I think that Christianity is a friend of justice because it speaks a true word about the brokenness of society, corporately and individually. And it does so by opening up a path towards reconciliation and justice. Lastly, Christianity gives me a compelling future that I can begin to actualize now in the present. And one last thing, and forgive me for being devastatingly simple as I close, but middle school and high school Esau would like to have a word. <laughs> Why did I stay a Christian then? I remained a Christian because of Jesus. I had no problem dropping my last name. Esau X actually had a nice ring to it. <laughs> I remained a Christian because of Jesus. There's this story um, where there, there's some reporters who are harassing Muhammad Ali because of his refusal to participate in the Vietnam War. And they say, why do you refuse to fight? And, and Muhammad says, the, the Viet Cong never did anything to me. They didn't enslave me. They didn't rape our women. They didn't oppress me. They're not creating laws that allow me to have limit my access to all of the, the, the joys and hopes of America. He said, the Viet Cong have done nothing to me. They are not my enemy. And I've read all the critiques of the Bible, and I've heard from the conscious community, but I can't read the Gospels and see in the Gospels an enemy. I read the Gospels, and I see Jesus as my friend. But there's one more thing. I think the tomb was actually empty come Sunday. And if God raised this particular person from the dead, the things that he stood for, justice, compassion, the empowerment of women, the hope for the transformation of all creation, is real. If this is true, then of course it matters for justice. So as important as these questions about Christianity and racism are, they all inevitably lead back to the bigger question of God and his purposes for the world. They lead back to the person of Christ. And I believe that he is alive. And this matters supremely. Thank you.